on this podcast, we let it go. Because Hakuna Matata and the bare necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith and trust and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea. Because on this podcast, we do Disney. Hi there. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Kelly Meehan, and welcome to Doing Disney. It's the second episode of our mini-series, counting down our five favourite vocal performances per major Disney era. If you ever watched Disney on DVD in the mid-2000s, you may remember the selection menu with fast play to skip straight to the film. So we honour that here and skip straight to the five favourite choices. I have two extra special guests with me today. I have Andrew Barr, Zach Ford. Thank you for joining me today. Hi. Hello, hello. Start at the beginning. So as it should be said for every Fast Play 5, there are only a limited number of spaces and many amazing choices to pick from, so hard cuts must be made. Fast Play 5's come down to favourites, as is every category on the podcast, and each person is entitled to their picks. Just because something doesn't make the list doesn't mean we don't like it. I encourage quirky outside of the box choices because the theory of the podcast comes down to how each individual person does Disney, so it's how they want to make the list. Now, this is an interesting one because for the first 30s to 50s episode, the only option was classic Disney animated films. And I started thinking of my list very much for this era in the same way. I'm like, okay, a pinch of Robin Hood, a dash of the Little Mermaid, and like, we're good to go. But I had to message you both saying, oh, wait, like Disney's become the infinity gauntlet now and it's just collecting all these franchises. So even if it didn't produce it back in the 60s and 80s, if it owns it now, it's absolutely fair game. So the only hard rule was it had to be a purely vocal performance. So while Julie Andrews and Mary Poppins is my idol, uh, she is on screen during it. So we can't just say that's a great vocal performance because she sings beautifully. But let's get straight into today's topic. Zach, what do you have as your number five? All right, my number five, I completely forgot what it is in my list of stuff. Oh, there we go. I have, um, I can't remember five names. It's going to be really pathetic. <laughs> okay. My number five is from Little Mermaid and is Samuel E. Wright as Sebastian. Um, and it was really between him and um, I'm forgetting her name. I played Ursula. Um, but what really gives it the um, gives him the lead for me is you kind of songs. A couple of these are primarily on it because they still sing the songs. And he sings, you know, two of the best Disney songs of this era um, of Kiss Girl and Not Under the Sea. Um, and bring so much character and life to it with his natural voice. Like his voice is what makes those songs, I think, function at a great higher level. It's really important. And, you know, it's also, he, he's kind of like the moral character, like Jiminy Cricket or those things that often appear in Disney movies that can often be um, like buzzkills. Um, like he can be a little bit of a narc. Um, <laughs> now like, like Zazu is like the narc of narcs. Yeah. Like Zazu is the worst case of this. And he's also just still pretty fun, um, enjoyable. And you don't get like, hey, come on, um, substitute teacher, get out of here. Um, let the cool kids play. Um, and, and I think that's because he just has so much charm and um, no fun to, his, to the character of his voice. I oh, love it. Andrew, what do you think of Samuel Lee Wright as Sebastian? Uh, this was an honorable mention for me. Um, I think Zach did a great job uh, describing why this performance is so good. Um, he really does capture that authoritative character who kind of like doesn't have real authority. Um, so yeah, this, this was one that I would have mentioned later. Yeah, I'm very much in the same boat. This was an honorable mention. Um, I think the voice is just so distinct 
like at this point you can't imagine someone else voicing Sebastian or that that crab sounding in any other way except for this voice from Samuel Lee Wright and the way he uh, articulates and enunciates his words as Sebastian and you're right like a narcissist is a fun fantastic way to describe it but I love when he um he's going to conduct and he gets his little baton and the way he flips between his duties to Triton and then his love for Ariel and when he follows her to the surface world, I think that's great. And uh, the songs is absolutely what makes it. Plus he gets the starring role in Left Poisson as well. So that's also fun. <laughs> Andrew, what's your number five? Uh, so my number five, uh, I'm sorry, Mike Hanley, it's not the obvious pick from this movie. I picked the younger version from this movie and I picked Corey Feldman as young copper in The Fox and the Hound. Fantastic. Um, there is such an innocence to this performance. And out of the two young characters, Corey Feldman is the one that I remember the most because there's so much heart, but genuine emotion uh, in this performance that it really brings this character to absolute life. And even as a kid, as an adult, as an adult, it just like brings back childhood memories. And it's just a very beautiful uh touching performance by Corey Feldman. Oh, absolutely. Um, this is one obviously like is such a heartbreaking film. So it's not one I've gone back to the to the most, but that voice <laughs> that I'm voice sadistic. is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> that voice is just so adorably cute. And yeah, Corey Feldman does bring a good job of bringing that character alive and capturing what it, that first half of the film really does uh, amplify. So absolutely. Zach, what are your thoughts on Corey Feldman? Um I mean, I love Fox and the Hound. It was probably my most watched Disney movie as a kid, so maybe that says a lot about who I am. Um, <laughs> and and I, I feel like I, we don't get enough chances to talk about it within our community because I just I really like cool. going and like doing a twenty minute spiel on Todd getting abandoned as the saddest scene of all time. I, I can really describe all that. Um, but that doesn't have to do with the voice. Um, you're right, going on the damage. young side. I think both young voices. Um, I think because there's like true kid performances and, they, and that that's really important to me as animation I like when like their kid voices doing um kid yeah. characters and add that youthfulness and he has that kind of youthful not mopiness but kind of like the kid it's just a little bit you know left out it's oh, oh, the sad dog doesn't really know what the um what life is all about at this point um that makes it really endearing um to that friendship so good choice oh i love it my number five is anthony daniels as c3po so I think this is the first time I'm bringing up Star Wars on the podcast, but what a way. I mean, we've got to kick off with the original, the original Star Wars 1977. And I didn't know until I was older that people found C-3PO annoying because I just always really liked this character. And I think a lot of that is actually Anthony Daniels. I like his British sensibility and humour that he brings to the role and being like one of the only droids with, um, vocal performance, especially from this era, we see it a bit more flushed out now. But like, he was the voice of droids. Like, who knew that they spoke with this, with this accent? <laughs> so um, I like him and his interactions with R two D two, especially because it gives you that old um, vaudeville style of um, one person speaking for the other person. Like R two D two obviously can only speak in beeps and boops, so he's going to be articulating what R two thinks. So it gives you that great back and forth and it gives some levity to Star Wars. Andrew, I see you glaring daggers at me 
What do you think about oh, social media? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> this is an audio podcast. That people Code That's out. Uh, I, that is not true. Um, I think that this is a great, great vocal performance. Um, however, if you know me, you know that I'm pretentious. Uh, and I decided that since I decided for this episode that since Disney didn't own it then, uh, I was not going to add anything like that on my list, which I'm sure will come up again later. That is a fine caveat to have. That's absolutely okay. But what do you think of the vocal performance? <laughs> Fantastic. Great. <laughs> Zach, what are your thoughts on C-3PO? Talk about narcs. <laughs> 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 um, he, he, he is definitely the voice of someone that I'd never want to hang around. And it's like, he'll be at a family dinner and I'll try to sit on the opposite side of the table because he's just going to bore the shit out of me <laughs> and like correct me on things. God. Um, and maybe Anthony Daniels is good at bringing that to, like, that's the importance of the character. This kind of know it all robot. I guess he's a robot. I should know his shit. Um, but it's definitely like, he's whiny. He's annoying. It's not my favorite Star Wars character. Um, you should have went with R2D2. Just beep, boop, bop, bop, bop. Better vocal performance. Who knows? Well, like a duo. <laughs> oh, fair, fair, fair. Zach, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is almost primarily based on the song, and that is Louis Prima and the Jungle Book. Um, I wouldn't be like, he's my favorite Disney song um, of all, and the Jungle Book is, you know, one of my favorites. Um, and I think the genius of putting him as this, like orangutan mob boss, um, and he's, he he. It's a little, um, I'm forgetting the, the word, but contradicting the, the style of the rest of the movie because it kind of takes you out of the jungle into this like 1950s, um, like New York club world um, in a way that I find so much enjoyable and works for that orangutan land that it is. It really creates a lot of um, atmosphere for that. Um, it, it brings you right into the world. And then he sings this kick-ass swing song, um, this prima underappreciated musician of our past. And he, he you know, gets his time to shine. And it, it, um, it just, and he has just like the right amount of menace for that movie. Like he doesn't want to be too menacing because it takes away from Shere Khan. Um, he has to be just enough to be a threat, but also like fun and enjoyable. And I mean, he's essentially a cult leader. So he has to have some kind of charisma, he's a funky cult leader. Um, and, and I love it. And I, I want to be like you is, yeah, playing in my head pretty much every day, all day long. So Fantastic. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Louis Prima as King Louis? Uh, this was another honorable mention that I was going to bring up because uh, I love Louis Prima, actually. The, but I will say the thing that kept him off this list is they didn't make a joke about having no bananas today. Um, only like seven people will get that joke, but I'm real proud of that one. Uh, but seriously, uh, this was a great performance. It, there's, we have five. We get to pick five. And it's hard, you know, sometimes to kick people off that you really do like. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm the same. This is an honorable mention. Um, I've got someone else in the Jungle Book that's probably going to make my list. That, and I'm, I put the caveats on my list, like one per movie as well. So, but King Louis, I love that you bring up that he's got the right amount. I do of not. <laughs> I, have no, I have no caveats. Spoiler. Mm. Go for it. I love the chaos. Um, King Louis, I love that you mentioned that he's got the right amount of menace because, like, it always toys backwards and forth in my head. Like, is he an antagonist? Because it's more like he's just doing his own thing. 
which I just really kind of love and brings some brightness to the movie where it's not just Shere Khan because Shere Khan's like a straight-up horror villain where, like, he's in the background in the shadows the whole time. So it's great to have some actual interaction with King Louie's monkeys. And it does um, bring that that cheekiness that monkeys are emblematic of. So absolutely. And Louis Prima and then I'll say, like, Scatman Crothers for the Aristocats. Like, I love that we're getting these, like, jazzy big band musician type people in our Disney movies, very much what we had in this era. It suits the um, Xerox skit scat movement of the animation as well. So I think that was actually really good casting for that one. Andrew, what's your number four? Speaking of Shere Khan, uh, <laughs> I have George Sanders as Shere Khan at my number four. I love the good Disney villains uh and shere khan is an underappreciated disney villain let's be honest like this dude is so intimidating but charming at the same exact time he will either talk you into giving him what he wants or he will eat you and i think that he delivers this performance this tightrope performance brilliantly there's something about that deep richness to his voice and just this elegant way that he speaks and just he gets real playful sometimes in order to get what he wants because he's so charming and fun before he rips your throat uh i think this is a brilliant vocal performance he's my number four I think you're right. He absolutely gets overshadowed because we got Jerry Mayans and Scar in The Lion King and mm -hmm. it comes down to either or for a lot of people, which is unfortunate because I do think Sher Khan is the prototype for that. As I said, he's a straight up horror movie villain where he slinks in the shadows from the majority of it. He doesn't actually interact with our protagonist for a lot. He's just following him or putting things in place to catch him. And then when he comes in at the end and I think um, Clay brought up last time that it was Thurl Ravenscroft who did like the really deep um, note in that's what friends are for but that is like such a bust open the stage door here I am out of nowhere on this plane where did he come from scary moment <laughs> so I absolutely agree Shekhan's great um, and he is very menacing because um, I just bought like a um, Disney picture book and I flipped open one of the pages and it's just Shekhan standing in the grass and it's just this big orange tiger and the way they animate his eyes absolutely glaring out terrifying so One i love the best shots in a disney movie ever i swear to god agreed and it is george sanders bringing that deep rich british voice to it all that is so great zach what are your thoughts on shit um he's now only he's only now on my list because my list can't be all jungle book characters which <laughs> <laughs> um, easily could have been the thing too bagheer is my guy as well love you bagheer um <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, I do think that he kind of walks for some Jeremy Irons kind of run as far as the, the villainous line bit that doesn't diminish his performance because it's still perfect, especially because, you, you know, it is less of a character than Scar than, than Jeremy Irons had to play with. You don't know much about him other than he, like, hates humans, and that's it. But you still get so much, not attachment, but, well, fear, I guess would be the word, fear of, of this villain just based on the, the kind of classic Hollywood gravitas that he brings to this. Um, they really, you know, they got... The guy that, guy that brings a lot of history with it, and I think that helps um, with, with the character. So he is one of the most frightening Disney characters, I think. And I can get right. that. And I think he just over hold it up well when he did it in the remake. I think also had the same kind of carried over that menace. Yeah, absolutely. My number four, very personal pick, very nostalgia pick. I'm going with Carl Swenson as Merlin from The Sword and the Stone. 
So <laughs> it's not going to be my list if I don't bring up something from Sword in the Stone. But this is a name that I've actually only really learned recently because I've just never known who does the voice of Merlin. But this is a voice and a character I've just loved since um, recording Sword in the Stone off the TV when I was a child and rewatching over and over again on VHS, as you did back in the day. So this is definitely like one of those core memory movies and therefore the voice is just very influential. Very much the Gandalf I had before Gandalf because he gets gruff and rough and tough love and brings that um, teacher quality to it because he is teaching a lot throughout. But then he's also just so whimsical and his little hickey's figurative and his voice goes up and cheery and then it goes down. And I like when um, the squirrel grabs his tail and like, Madam, <laughs> he gets so stern. So, again, there's just something about these great British voices of the time, I think, is what they bring into it all. And it's a great take on the Arthurian legend. And I think Merlin is the make or break for that, absolutely. Zach, what are your thoughts on Merlin? Um, I like Merlin as a character and I like the, the flusteredness. Um, he really gave me a lot of um, confidence in myself as a flustered person that I can be a mess and still be competent at my craft. Um, so thank you, Merlin, for that. Um, the movie as general is not, it's like the weirdest Disney movie. It's like barely about Arthur and much more just about like learning life lessons by acting like a squirrel and a bird. <laughs> and I don't really get what this movie was doing. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Carl Swenson Miss Mellon? Let's go to the board of Andrew's honorable mentions. Uh, <laughs> Daniel E. Wright, Louis Prima has also been brought up. And oh, look at that. Carl Swenson just, just revealed to the board. Uh, we've got plenty more people that haven't been named yet. Let's see if they come up, Cotton. Oh, they absolutely will. Um, actually, I really wasn't expecting anyone from um, Sword of the Stone to make anyone's honorable mention. So why would he make your honorable mentions list? What's that? Why did he make your honorable oh, mentions? Why did he make okay? Sorry, uh, I, I was too busy listening to Higgins figure this. Um, no, I just like so. I actually love the Sword in the Stone, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember really, really loving this one and being one of my favorites. Um, and I just love the tale of King Arthur, especially his younger years. And I just remember Carl Swenson just having this this wisdom but this joy in his vocal performance that's just really really engaging yeah absolutely zach what's your number three um this is we're done talking about jungle book i assume after this my number three is phil harris um for jungle book as believe because that is my number two Okay. Let's go for it. Okay. He's just a great guy. I just like good bear characters. Well, that will also come up later. Just nice. You know, he, he's kind of lazy in his way. And just, um, you know, he's Hakuna Matati before Timon and Pumbaa, Timon and Pumbaa um, in the best way possible. But still just like very loyal and, and moral and still kind of a good pal, but authority figure for Mowgli in a way. Um, he's one. He's like the fun teacher. He used to be the fun, goofy guy, but you know, he's <laughs> going to steer you in the right way. Um, but really, like, I just wanted him to be my uncle. He would be, just be a great uncle. And Phil Harris, um, I didn't limit myself to one per movie, but I did limit myself to one per actor, because um, I also love Phil Harris um, as Thomas O'Malley in The Aristocats, because um, he, he has that you know, you're talking about the, the jazziness of the singers on um, that, that that match of time. But I think there's also the soulfulness of jazziness, some of the character voices, and Phil Harris brings a lot to that. Um, there's a lot of a swag, I think, to his voice. Um, you know, that makes Blue the good hang he was. He's the Disney character I'd most want to get a beer with. 
<laughs> and he'd like know all the best places, I think. Yeah, um, definitely. Phil Harris Ballou makes my list as well. Uh, there's, there's no way Phil Harris could not make my list in any capacity um, with those three in a row hot streak. Um, but the first performance as Ballou, I still think is probably the most iconic. I, I agree. I like Thomas O'Malley. And then uh, Little John's a little bit of a rehash of the bro bear character that we've seen here today. But um <laughs> A little bit. If you ask someone quickly what's the first thing they, they think of when they say the Jungle Book, I think a lot of people are actually going to answer Baloo and the bare necessities. I think that's what's become the iconic piece of the film. And I absolutely wrote the same thing. It's very much the precursor to Hakuna Matata. It's that <laughs> we like that mentality of no worries, take it easy. This is how life goes. Like that is a lot of what people's, the lifestyle people would like to have because it's definitely not what a lot of us do have. So it's what we sort of can aspire to be. So uh, I agree. It's Phil Harris with that smooth crooner voice, brings us better life. I think um, when you're speaking about him being like a parental figure and guiding Mowgli, I also think a lot of it is Baloo finding his way in the jungle because he's been on his own and he gets a little more, little more of his found family with Mowgli, with um, him and Bagheera walking off at the end, very much start of a beautiful friendship, even though they maybe know each other. It's like he's finding connections in the jungle as well, and I think that's pretty great. Andrew, did Phil Harris's Baloo make your whiteboard? Sure <laughs> shit did. Uh, yeah, there's something about the laid-back demeanour that he delivers this performance with but when the stakes are raised the tension in his voice builds up very subtly and i think that that dynamic kind of performance really enhances the character and tells you a lot about who he is as a character and i think that's just a really great performance absolutely yeah he gets that papa bear mode on and it's great when you're sitting mm -hmm. in a box and stuff oh great moments from blue andrew what was your number three uh, so my number three was brought up just a wee bit ago. Uh, my number three, have I mentioned how much I love Disney villains? Uh, my number three is Pat Carroll from The Little Mermaid. Lovely. Let's go. Uh, Pat Carroll is throwing so much charisma into this. There's such a showmanship to this performance, but it's done in a way that's not overdoing it. It's just right. It could be a very annoying character real quick. Someone who's just trying to crave attention, but it's not someone who's doing that. It's someone who knows that the attention is on them. And just the sweet way that she introduces herself to Ariel. It's very warm and welcoming and inviting, but there's just that hint of sinister under her voice that the audience gets to pick up, even though Ariel is not picking it up. And that laugh, that evil laugh is one of the best evil laughs in any Disney movie you will ever hear. And it's just the riotous joy, this dark joy that she has when everything's going her way that you kind of start laughing along with her, but you don't, you really shouldn't. Pat Carroll absolutely killed this performance. I uh, 100% agree. I think um, 
that's one of maybe two key reasons why we got the Disney renaissance is that Ursula was such a successful villain. I think she tops a lot of people's best villains. If not, she'd be in like the top three because it did become an iconic Disney villain because that voice pairs so much with the design. And it's very unfortunate she passed away recently, but I think we're yeah. at least getting to speak her name a little bit more because for a long time I think we didn't give credit to what she brought to that performance because it really did marry with that design and, as you said, like the over-the-topness. And you are rooting for her because she's just so fun to watch. And she gets very close to winning at the end. Really. Real close. Real close. <laughs> Zach, what are your thoughts on Ursula? Uh, Pat Carroll's Ursula? Yeah, there's a real, like, glamorous or like, glam rock um attribute to this i, I think yeah. it's so well and builds like a kind of a cult fan base for her as a character um because people could just identify with that you know at or that um culture of character um but also i just love her like broadway divaness that she brings oh, yeah. to it um and that or like classic hollywood divas that get older and left left out of hollywood like the, i imagine this is like what betty davis and all about eve evolved into after she got i was by just eve. thinking that she just became her son. So it's still the youth's voice, um, and, and I, I think that's brought out a lot by the the, the voice act performance. Um, and yeah, I so said this is you could count this as my six. I really just wanted to I had to pick between the Little Mermaid characters, um, but yeah, it, it, it's that equal min, amount of menace, but also like a soulfulness that that helps create as a unique character. Absolutely. I love the meme that goes around of um, Ursula and Triton. It says, I need the backstory because you know some shit went down before the movie started there. No, <laughs> uh, my number three is Jessica Rabbit, Kathleen Turner. Mm. So before we started filming, Andrew asked me, does Touchstone count? And I'm like, oh, who do you want, Roger or Jessica? So I'm like, nope, Jessica Rabbit's going to make my list. And this is a film I've come to appreciate much more recently. I've always known Roger Rabbit, the film, the character, and, of course, the bombshell that is Jessica Rabbit. Um, developing an appreciation for film noir is really um, skyrocketed this film in my rankings. I know it's quite beloved in the community, um, but it's just one that I didn't grow up loving so much. Like, I just didn't have the access to it, I think. And so this is one I've enjoyed watching in recent years, and especially now that I know a bit more about classic film and you can see what they were uh, what the blueprint was for this film um but if jessica rabbit is just the definition of a bombshell she is sex she is sass and she gives me very much marilyn monroe where she is the smart dumb blonde where they're being playful with her they know what they're doing they know what they're playing on so i'm not bad i'm just drawn that way or with the booby trap gag they they know it's it's done in a clever way so I'm going to throw it to Zach. Zach, what are your thoughts on Kathleen Turner as Jessica Rabbit? She's pure sex, pure sass. You said it all. Um, what we need in our anime and movies. Uh, and, but, and that's what made this character t famous is her yeah. um, you know, culturedness and seductiveness. And it is a parody of kind of classic animation, a parody of Warner Brothers and Disney. That's why I like thought about Richard Fleischer as Roger Rabbit and decided I don't want to count touchdown because i just felt it was so separate like it is really like a parody of what disney was doing so it's hard to keep it separate um but but it really works as an ode to what you know those like betty boop like characters were in past yeah. um um which works with yeah that noir um film that it really is so it was a perfect casting choice for it absolutely andrew what are your thoughts on Kathleen Turner's jessica rabbit uh this movie was on disney channel all the time when i was younger 
Um, and it's still one of my favorite movies to this day. Um, I think that this performance is really great. Um, she delivers that like sultry kind of like Dane, like, is she dangerous? I like, I can't tell like kind of, uh, vibe. Um, and I also think that it began our, <laughs> I began our reevaluation of Veronica Lake as an actress, because that's who she's <laughs> clearly modeled after. Um, but no, she does a fantastic job in this role, uh, creating like mystery around her character just through her voice. Yeah, that right. she nails that femme fatale, especially because it's a deeper voice as well. It's not a very light, airy, girly voice. It's it's a deep voice for for a female, so it's great. I model a lot of my style and voice as, after Jessica Rabbit too, but I'm really trying to go for it on a daily basis. Yeah, that that lips and you nail it. Thank you. <laughs> And all the sexy sass coming out of me. Zach, what's your number two? Um, my number two, which, you know, you usually can say this does not count um, for a specific reason. And I think it, for all people would be surprised it's not my number one. Um, it's Jim Henson in the Muppet movie um, is number two. Um, and I just say it cannot count because he's puppeteer. I mean, like there, there is physical work going into it. But if we're just gonna go by the vocal performance itself, um, you know, it's he's my guy. Um, these are I said my top three were like clear set, like easy three for me. These are like my all-time heroes, <laughs> Baloo and Kermit, um, guided me through my life. Um, I'm really boring. Um, all my like favorite characters of things are always like the main character, like I love Kermit and Bugs Bunny and um that's what, and there's a reason though, because Kermit captures um, a lot of our best and worst parts of our identity. His like anxiousness, his nervousness, I relate to a lot. Um, but still, the kindness and, and like it's amazing how much leadership he's able to give off in his voice, even though he's so. I we just talked about messy, flustered um, people that make you you feel confident that you can still be confident and hold stuff together. Um, but he holds it together by his, you know, determination and goodwill. Um, and Jim Henson, you know. I feel like this is one of the most personal performances of anyone we talked to. Like, I think he's played a lot of himself and, you know, his personality within the voice. It's the puppet version of himself um, in a lot of ways. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. He's my guy. And, and it, oh, because one of my favorite parts too of Muppets, why it means so much, it's a combination of melancholy and joy. And that's all uncaptured by Kermit's performance. He sings, the, you know, being green. It's not easy being green. It's the, uh, the ultimate melancholic Muppet song. Um, but a little bit like, you know, maybe things aren't always great and we could be a little sad, but we have our friends and life is, can, is still great because we're alive. Um, and that's what the Muppets means to me. And that was what Kermit means to me. Oh, I love it. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Kermit the Frog and Jim Henson? This hurts because it's in my top 20 favorite films of all time, just like in general. Um, but I made a rule. I stuck to that rule. He and um, who who voiced Gonzo? Frank Oz. Oh, Dave Goals. The two of them would have easily been fighting for a spot on my list. Like both of their performances, not only like vocal performances, but singing performances in this movie, are just so enwrapped with such a human emotion told through <laughs> these these pup, uh, Muppets. Absolutely. Um, the Muppets, uh, Frank Oz's Miss Piggy is the one that makes my honorable mention list, but I love, we'll just like touch on the Muppets in general because obviously like um, it's something we, like we I didn't see as it was coming out. It's something that is just always a little bit being in the consciousness. So Kermit's like that comforting thing that you just sort of found on VHS 
and he does have that uh, soulfulness to his voice in a in a different way. It's not it's not a deep voice. It's it's I really like what you said, Zach. I think it is a lot of Jim Henson putting himself into that performance is what makes it shine through. And that's that even though it's a frog, it's got that human emotion that you definitely do connect to. Um, Frank Oz's Miss Piggy, I think, is the one for me because it's one of the very rare female Muppet characters. So that's like one of the ones I go for. And the fact that it's such a distinct different voice than what you would expect it's like that very gruff voice she's very um it's just there's nowhere else i could hear miss piggy sounding if that makes sense as then what frank Oz was able to bring to us so that's the one that i tend to lean towards but the muppets in general like what's some great vocal work there so absolutely uh andrew what's your number two well kelly kind of spoiled my number two a little while ago um no, 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 it's fine. Uh, my number two, uh, hey, guys, did you know that Touchstone's owned by Disney? Uh, <laughs> I went with Charles Fleischer as Roger Rabbit uh, slash Benny the Cab. He's also Benny the Cab in that movie, so uh, dual performance there. Um, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, first of all, I want to preface this by saying I feel like if I was any animated character in the history of film, I'd probably end up being Roger Rabbit. Uh, Kelly's looking at me like, is that? I don't know what that means. <laughs> that, that, that's like your dark side, I guess. <laughs> um, Not a good thing. <laughs> um, but there is such a lovable performance in this. He's crazy. He's nuts. Um. But he's doing it because he genuinely wants to make people happy. And I feel like the way that Charles Fleischer delivered this vocal performance, you can tell that deep down there's just a desire to do that. Like, that's his main goal in life. Um, and there's a bit of, you know, there's there's a bit of sadness in his performance. Um, just the fact, like, this the world's kind of like crumbling around him in this moment. And he's still driving to do the one thing that he feels like is his life's goal. Um, and just like the way that he interacts with Eddie and Jess and like his, you can tell that he loves Jessica just by the way that he talks about her. And during a, a strictly vocal performance, that's not always the easiest thing to portray. Um, so I think Charles Fleischer just did a phenomenal job of capturing who this character is by his vocal performance. Oh, yeah. And you can just tell, like, this is an absolute love letter to Mel Blanc and, like, all the Merry Melodies, Lenny Tunes voices. Because I don't think Disney ever got so wacky as what Roger Rabbit is. That's very much more the Warner Brothers side of um, those old, like, 1940s yeah. cartoons sort of things. So absolutely, I think he does um, capture what because it is set in the 1940s so it captures what was happening in the time of film and um yeah as i said absolute love letter zach what are your thoughts on roger rabbit and charles flasher yeah i think you know he epitomizes classic animation in a lot of ways which is the like so chaotic and wild but somehow like an obnoxious like right on the verge of being annoying and you need to get this like unmedicated kid out of my car <laughs> and um but there's so much um, sincerity to it and so much just pure joy that it wears you down. And just like it wears down um, 
what's his face and prevent Roger Rabbit and like get all the character names. Oh, Eddie Valiant. Thank you. Yeah, Eddie Valiant. Yeah, Bob Hoskins wears him down, still gets him on the side because there's just in a likability you can't deny, even though yeah. they're your little brother that's annoying you a little too much. He's he's very much a little brother kind of character. As someone who doesn't have a little brother. <laughs> <laughs> I am the little right. brother. That's maybe I'm also Roger Rabbit. If you don't know the Roger Rabbit, you are the Roger Rabbit. <laughs> uh, we've touched on my number two with Bill Harris and Baloo, which means we're around to number ones. Zach, please tell us your number one choice. Super obvious um, for me. This is my my spiritual guide um, through life. Our original character of Hakuna Matata, and it's um, Sterling Holloway as Way the Pooh. Um, Lady the Pooh means a lot to me. Um, I may have forced my three-year-old son to like it. I'm like, I will push this down your throat <laughs> anything that I do. Like, and it's not just because I love it so much, because I do think there's so much lovely truth to it and, and the way the Pooh character. I mean, that's not anything novel to say. They made a whole book, the town Pooh, of, of you know, the philosophical lessons you can get from, from um that and that his vocal performance is so important to the evolution of that idea because it's so gentle and friendly and you know a little bit dumb but dumb in a way that is like like you want to be that dumb like it, it's like the ignorance is bliss kind of a, a voice and not someone you make fun of but someone like you know maybe they don't seem like they know it all but maybe actually they have it the best of all of us and um because because i think there's just that calmness that serenity um to Pooh's character and, and he's you know he's still a you know, great friend um i feel like i have a lot of good friends on my my thing maybe that's the kind of characters i'm attracted to these are just my my pals um and it's it's just extremely calming to the viewer and listener. I think it's the best movie for the youngest of Disney watchers, um, for you know two year old, three year olds, because you know what's got lost in modern kids movies is that kind of calmness, and uh, there's just a lot of chaos and and um, the speed is really fast. But Pooh's, you know, the voice of Sterling Holloway lowers your heart rate and makes you pay attention and calm down um, in a way that's really important. Like I could just you do meditation of Sterling Holloway's Pooh voice, and it would probably be really effective. Pooh yoga, I love it. <laughs> Andrew, what is your uh, what are your thoughts on Stone Holloway as we get through? Let's go back to the board here. Uh, yeah, Sterling Holloway, honorable mention of mine. Um, there's just such an innocence to this performance that it immediately draws you into this character and immediately tells you who this character is, how they function. Um, and it's just so likable and charming and delightful. Um, man, I wish I had room <laughs> for her more. Because uh, if we were making a top 10 list, easily would have made my list. Stone Holloway is definitely one of those absolute most classic Disney voices. He topped my list of recurring voice actors and arguably one of his later performances with Winnie the Pooh is the most iconic. And then when I started making things for the list, I thought, well, it's not just Sterling Holloway. It's um, John Fiedler as Piglet. It's Junius Matthews as Rabbit. It's Paul Winchell as Tigger. These people laid the blueprint for Winnie the Pooh and we're still enjoying those franchises. This, I, I really love what you said, Zach. Like, this is for our youngest demographic and is 
um, just so joyful and can be enjoyed by the whole family. It's great family content. And that's why I think they keep redoing Pooh. There's House from Pooh Corner. There's New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I remember growing up with like this is a, a product and a franchise that uh, Disney will always continue because there's just something that really um, is peaceful, as you said, that we need. It's... Um, takes us back to childhood and and we connect with that but those voice all those voices in particular are great and as you sort of said like um there's not many characters that take pause or voice actors that will take pause with what they're saying Pooh takes moments of silence um in between or he speaks in that slower voice it's not just speaking slow it's just he'll actually stop speaking and then pick up again and you just really don't say that very much in cartoons, which are frenetic and are what we usually say to kids and is playing down at the time. Um, so that is definitely something different. I, I love the care that um, Walt Disney put into all, all the shorts, all the classic shorts of the 60s and then made into the many adventures, many adventures for the crew. So love this choice. Andrew, what's your number one? If you know me, you know that I haven't talked about my favorite Disney anime movie of all time. You don't know that I haven't talked about one of my favorite movies of all time, period. And there were multiple people that I could have picked from this cast. But man, do I love me some good villains. So I went with the devilishly Vincent Price performance as Radigan in The Great Mouse Detective. He is chewing the freaking scenery like an all-you-can-eat buffet. But it's so mm. great. He is having the time of his life recording this performance. And you can tell just by listening to it. There is so much joy that he's trying to compress, but it's bubbling from under the surface. Uh and when he gets mad, he gets legit terrifying. His voice fits the animation at the clock tower scene so well. It, it's a legit, like, Jekyll and Hyde moment um, when you see, like, how he is, like, during the first part of the film. But just the way that he interacts with all of the other characters, it's so great. Especially at the end of Radigan when he's talking to uh, the one mouse who called him a rat. And he's just like, oh, my dear Bartholomew. It's just, oh, it's so smooth, but really kind of intimidating at that moment. Vincent Price. Oh, I, I love this performance so much. Uh, Zach, what do you thoughts on Vincent Price's Radigan? Um, this is what I loved as a kid and like was one of the scariest characters, but I also had like a um, cassette tape um, that, you know, that doesn't exist anymore. Now it's like a digital thing that my son listens to, but I had the cassette tapes of, of Great Mouse Detective that I would listen to every night before <laughs> as I went to bed. Um, and it would end with, um, Radigan song um and so that was kind of ingrained in my my brain as something scary and I watch this adult and it is a lot more of a caricature than I like remember so it doesn't hold <laughs> up for me like as well it's it's so like you know Broadway-ish and, and, and it, it's why I just very theater kitty in a way that really my bar, which is really why Bart likes it um yeah. for me as like you need to take a breath Radigan and like come back to earth <laughs> a little bit um 
But yeah, it's the second best um, animal voice performance by Vincent Price. Um, I'm waiting for one day someone to, to write me on their Here Comes Pierre Canto um, show so I can just like do a good two hours. Like, it's my favorite thing to talk about, so I'm pushing it into right now. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll accept this since we can't talk about Iron Tail. <laughs> Um, not what I was expecting to come up on the podcast this morning, but love it. Um, Vincent Vincent Price's Radigan is an absolute classic. And I mean, what a get for the 80s when we're in our dark time. I mean, we haven't talked about it, but I think a lot of people start to discover that John Hurt was the Horn King in White Cauldron, mid 80s. And then we get this one, um, Vincent Price's Radigan. So like, those are big British actors that we're getting at this time and so great that we get this performance because I think this is this and Clements and Musker is the reason we start to get the Little Mermaid and then start to kick off some of our Disney renaissance so absolutely I think a lot is tied to um this movie and Radigan is definitely that song is what hooks a lot of people I think as well like as soon as you say Radigan you start singing that hook in your head I think as well like the name's just synonymous with the song but you're right like cheering the scenery is such a good way because um what if we love those villains that um, have that gusto and are always trying to be better than what they are? I think they are more important. Like, he is not a rat. Like, he hates to be caught it. So he's doing everything to prime himself. Jules wants the power to be seen as more than what is. So I think as long as those villains are always grounded in that little bit of, um, like, humanity, we can connect with them a bit more so you can see why he's doing those things. It, humanity with a rat and um absolutely i agree when he goes beast mode it's terrifying and you do get those horror cheesy aspects of what vincent price can bring to it so i do think it is absolute perfect casting um my number one we've talked about the little mermaid a lot but we have not yet talked about jody benson as ariel we have to i mean um little mermaid uh, jody benson there's a reason that that video went viral of her appearing at someone's wedding and starting to sing because a generation has just attached themselves to this character and to this voice. Uh, this is one of the princesses, probably the first princess, and for even a while that people knew the name of this voice as well because, like, I don't see the same love, say, Pedro Harrow as, as Belle from Beauty and the Beast, but people connect to the softness, the sweetness, the naivety, just all those wonderful qualities of what um, Jodie Benson's able to bring to it. I just don't see how a world with such wonderful things could be bad. Like everyone connects with wanting to escape their circumstances and explore and the freedom and just that teenage quality she almost brings to the performance. But the vocals are just stunning. What an absolute clear, crystal, beautiful voice. And um pair such well with that expressive eyes and flaming red hair and just what we come to love that character of Ariel with. So Jodie Benson as Ariel is just my easy number one. Zach, what are your thoughts on Ariel? Um oh an Ariel. Um what a delightful <laughs> young girl. Um talking about characters who you don't gotta make weird looks bar. Um talking about characters and vocal performance that use silence she said for half of the movie no one's used silence better than her in her performance um it, but otherwise there's a, there's that kind of like young teenage girl that says perfectly and captured her voice of the like just wanting to like grow up and experience the world which is the character but there's that earnestness as expressed um in her her performance um 
I think is that's the most you know important element I think to what she brings to that character. Yeah, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Jodie Benson as Arrow? Well, let's go back to the board. <laughs> uh, this will be the last time it comes out. I promise, folks. This running joke is dead. yeah, because it's the last pick. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end on a high note. Why did Jodie Benson make your honorable mention list? Uh, yeah, so Jodie Benson, first of all, not only is she an amazing singer, uh, her diction is oh, incredible. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> now it's Zach's turn to get weird face. We uh, should, we should, we should have credit, like rated everybody's diction in each performance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, George Sanders is like the master. Of the oh show. yeah. <laughs> um, but. First of all, she has, in my opinion, the best I want song in Disney history. Absolutely. Um, and the way that she's able to project this curiosity shut through her voice. It's another, I, I've, I've kind of said this multiple times, but it, it shows you who the character is, how they function, um, and just like what makes them click, what they want in life. Uh, and I think Jody Benson just does an amazing job with that. Uh, so, once again, hard to cut, but I have only five spaces. Only five spaces, and that's all our number ones. That's the list. So let's run down some honorable mentions. Zach, what made your honorable mention list? Um, yeah, so I had um, Pat Buttram and Fox the Hound, which is young Todd, nice. been my young choice. Um, Sebastian Cabot as Bagheera, as I said, another good friend, another leader. Um, and George Sanders, which we talked about. Um, Roger Miller um, in Robin Hood, um, who's the rooster just singing this song. Yeah. You know, he's a narrator character and a and nice folksy vibe to really bring you to the tone of that movie. Um, and that's all I had on the top of my head and I did no research for this show, sorry. <laughs> Andrew, what made your board and plus extras? <laughs> oh, plus my board? Plus, uh, plus. I don't think anyone wants to go through all that. Again. <laughs> well, uh, what didn't make the board then? Uh, so, uh, Barry Ingram as Basil of Baker Street. Yeah. Uh, John Fiedler as Piglet. Um, Betty Lou Gerson as Cruella DeVille. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bob Newhart as Bernard in The Rescuers. Uh, and then... Uh, Pat Buttram returns again as the sheriff in Robin Hood. Um, Peter Ustinov as Prince John in Robin yes. Hood. Yes. And the the performance that just missed my list the moment I found out Roger Rabbit was uh, acceptable uh, is actually Terry Thomas as Sir Hith in Robin Hood. Yeah, it was very unfortunate. Not a lot of Robin Hood or Aristocats made our list, but have, it's, it's hard. And especially when like some of those actors do a lot of multiple voices. So it's the same with like um, Sterling Holloway as a voice in all of those and Phil Harris and stuff. I have um, Ava Gabor as either Duchess or Miss Bianca. She brings such a class and glamour to those characters that I've always really connected with. Uh, Vincent Price Radigan, Frank Oz, Miss Piggy, we've talked about. Bob Newhart, Bernard, as I said as well. And um, not one mention of Oliver and Company. So you've got to bring up both Billy Joel and Dom DeLuise as those characters, I think, they ground the film. So, oh, that's our show for today. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Us. Thank you. And we'll see you all next time. And when you come to the end, <laughs> stop. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Doing Disney. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doing Disney Podcast and Twitter at Doing Disney Pod. 